now it's time. Okay, so last week we were ending with this idea. We talked about that the the Shema is the Heichal, corresponds to the Heichal in the base of Mikdash, right? It's the four row table. Shema so cor- the, um, corresponds to the Heichal. The Heichal is the base of Mikdash, not the inside Kodesh HaKadoshim, but the Kodesh. So that's where the Shulchan is, that's where the menorah is. The Shulchan, which is, of course, is the bread on it, right? So that corresponds to Hashem's material bracha coming to us. And the menorah, which is the intellectual bracha coming to us. And, or spiritual, depending. It's intellect, I think really it's uh, intellectual. And then those are on each side. And then in the middle and beyond them, opposite the parochas, opposite, just behind that parochas would be the the Ark, the Aron, is the Mizbeach HaZahav, the golden Mizbeach, where the Ketoris is burned. And that is sort of, I mean, it's really like an arrow. Like, it really, all the Avoda, it comes in, it comes in, it comes in, and it gets directed toward this point of the Mizbeach HaKetoris, where this beautiful smell rises up. As, and that's Ratzon, that's something that is pleasing to God, which is the personality the bringing of the personality and dedication of that to Hashem. Who I am, I dedicate to Hashem. So that comes from having a good sense of who I am and then dedicating it to Hashem. And that's a topic we're still going to come up to. But that's the fundamental image of the Beis HaMikdash and the, as it relates to the Avodah of Shema. Um, we talked about Menashe, the king, of Yehuda, he was the son of Chizkiah, that he was wicked and he did this tshuva and that there's a kind of tshuva that's so powerful that it kind of just can burst through that barrier between the physical world and the spiritual world. And that comes from Bechira and Ratzon, from choice and from will, right? The will has to be very, very powerful and the choice has to be very, very determined. And when that's the case, that can create a kind of chuva that is supernatural. It's way beyond the bounds of, and the limitations of the physical world. And we see that this theme comes up over and over again. So in the same way that Shema is just beyond the barrier of the physical in terms of the world, um, the avoda of Shema takes us beyond the barriers of the physical world and the, and the bounds, uh, the limitations that we would naturally feel and that that's associated with Bechira. That's kind of becomes, you know, like why are all these things intertwined? Free will, is that supernatural? Well, if you look at the natural world, there isn't really will, right? Everything is kind of semi-automated or reactive. When we were in the natural world in Psuke de Zimra, we were reactive. It was lofty, it was inspiring, it was uplifting, right? Looking at the stars and the planets and and the forces shaping the world, and then reflecting that, right? With all the world Hallel, which was reflecting light, it's still reactive. That's the natural world. There's something that happens over here as we move into the zone of Bechira and thought that is in fact supernatural. It's something beyond that. It, it can take initiative. It doesn't have to only be reactive. That's really hard. It's hardest is when there's a pressure on you from the outside that your body and your feelings are reacting to. 
And then can you still use your mind to make a choice and a decision? It's really a hard thing to do, right? We all know that when we're upset or frightened, it's very hard to be rational. How can you be, like, there's all these things that are happening and they just happen inside of you. And yet the mind really can get a grip on it, but it's really hard to do. That is the realm of the supernatural. Okay. So that's kind of where, where we were. Um, and that's this concept that with Shema, we enter the lower zone of the higher spheres, right? In the same way we enter the Beis HaMikdash, now we're within the, within the room, within the building. Previously, we were outdoors. We were in the Chatzar. We were in the Azara. We were on the Harabayas. Here we've come inside. It's not the Holy of Holies, but it's the Holy. And that's where we come into with Shema. And that Kedusha, that Kedusha is associated with our ability to choose to stay determined, to be focused on will, on, on having a strong will and choosing to follow through on it, even when there are other demands and other things that, that might be acting upon us or, or trying to act upon us. And that was, again, that was Menasha with this kind of determination to draw closer to Hashem, no matter the obstacles and maybe no matter the outcome. Just because he had this unbelievable realization that Hashem hu ha'elokim. Hashem is the true judge. There is justice and there is a judge. And, and when he realized that, then he said, that's where I'm going. And apparently it was enough to drill that hole right through to the Kisei HaKavod and... and circumvent all of the malachim that were closing the way. Who was this? Menashe, the king. Oh, right. That was, right, that was last time. Okay, so when we say, I'll give you an example. Before the result of Shema that we read in Myriv, okay, we have Shachris, we have a Shema, and in Myriv, we have a Shema. In Myriv, we have this passage that's brought. Ra'uvanim gvuraso, the children saw Hashem's strength, meaning the Jewish people at the Yamsuf saw Hashem's power and might. Shibuchu Lishmo, and they praised and gave thanks to his name. Okay, that is pretty much a description of kind of a Psuke de Zimra, right? They saw in the physical world, that's kind of like Brachos. Their reaction to it was praising Hashem. That's like a Psuke de Zimra kind of avoda. Umalchuso Biratzon Kiblu Alehem. And his kingship, biratzon, so I think people translate that as willingly. Kiblu alehem, they accept it upon themselves. But when, the more you, and that, that's Shema. That's the phase of Shema. It's really describing the same process we could go through in a normal shachris. I think, though, that saying ratzon as willingly, they willingly accepted him as king, is not the right translation for ratzon. Ratzon is much more drive to it than willingness. Because willing kind of means like, yeah, if you ask me, so I'm, I'm agreeable. I won't argue. Right? But Ratzon, when we talk about Ratzon, that somebody has like a will to do something, and we talk about that somebody has this Ratzon and they're not going to be stopped, right? It's, it's, much, yeah, it's much more of a passion. The only reason I'm avoiding that word, even though it's kind of very in style, is because that is associated with the emotional side of it. So that, first of all, as we know, comes and goes. And number two, the whole point here is that there's an intellectual level beyond it. So the rut zone is like determination. 
right? It's willing in the sense that it is my own will. It's when your own will is activated and you say, you know what? I have a goal. I have an objective. I am determined to get there. That kind of focus and determination is what Ratzon means. It's what I will to be. It's the reality that I want to have happen. And then I make choices. I say, okay, so what am I going to do to get there? But that determination and that will and that commitment, that's the Ratzon. And that's, that's the powerfulness that can break through the between the level of the natural and the supernatural. So Ratzon, to translate it as willingly, just totally like eviscerates it of all of its power. It, it misleads you into what's happening, right? And you can understand that. We saw Hashem split the sea, and we saw that every Egyptian was treated exactly in accordance with the suffering that they caused to us, right? And we saw that we came through it, and that God led us through it, that was not natural, that was not normal. And we said there is justice in the world, and there is a judge who is bringing that justice in the world. And then it's biratzon, with ratzon we were mekabel malchus shamayim. We said, God, what does that mean? That means, God, I want you to be my king. I, I demand, like, I can't demand that you be my king, but I could demand of myself that I'll serve you as my king. <coughs> and you don't want to accept me, I'm still going to do it. I saw an example of this with Rus. I, saw, <laughs> I discovered a new safer this year. I, fa- I found it on eBay. It's called Shoresh Yishai. I was like, I think I've heard that name before. Anyway, it's Rav Shlomo Alkabetz on Megillus Rus. Rav Shlomo Alkabetz is the author of L'Chadodi. So I was like, that's cool. I had no idea that there were like other svarim, you know, other than singing L'Chadodi. So it, there's a lot of like Kabbalah in there, but there's a lot of like... I don't want to say simple, but like it's like straightforward, beautiful Devray Torah in there. So I really was enjoying over Shavuos reading this. And he brings a similar point with Rus. Right? Rus says to Naomi, Ba'asher telchi elech, uva'asher talini alin, amechami ve'elokaiach elokai. Where you go, I'll go. Where you sleep, I'll sleep. Your nation is my nation. Your God is my God. And she's in. She is 100% committed. Now, later when she meets Boaz, Boaz says to her, so I was just writing this down, he says, Hugad Hugadli, I heard, all of the good that you did for your mother-in-law after your husband passed away. You abandoned your parents and your home, in your homeland, and you went to go to a nation Right, she said, Basher Telchi Elech, Telchi El Am, you went to a nation, Asher Lo Yadat Tmol Shoshom, that you did not know two days ago, three days ago, day before yesterday. What does it mean, the nation you didn't know? So, Yadat, knowing, is also related to like intimacy, right? Yadia is also intimacy. Like, if the Torah will say that a man <laughs> knew his wife, that means intimacy. So, in other words, what Boaz was saying was, and the Medrash says, Chazal bring, you couldn't have married into this nation two or three days ago because, so why not? Because the halacha that we learn, Moavi velo Moavis, Amoni velo Amonis, that the Torah gives a command that a Moavi is not allowed to marry into the Jewish people and an Amoni is not allowed to marry into the Jewish people. So no one did. The fact that there was an exception that the Torah meant male Moavim and male ammonim and not female ones was only r- realized three days before he met Rus. 
Okay, so Boaz was the head of the Sanhedrin. He was the Shofet. So he was aware of this. Um, apparently it came up, it, it, some, some seem to bring that it was derived from a logical proof in the Pesukim, but the, Rav Shlomo Alkabet says that what happened was that it was brought before the base and the conversation came up, topic was up for in discussion halachically, and it was, I guess, a theoretical <laughs> as far as they knew, and someone came forth with the news that they had a Masora from Moshe Misenai. They had a Masora from their Rebbe's, Moshe Misenai, that that's what it means, Amoni Velo Amonis, Moavi Velo Moavis, which is why later on when David became king, then the head of the Sanhedrin was Doeg, who turned out to have a deeply things. flawed character underneath it all, but everyone thought he was very righteous, and he also thought he was very righteous, and he was very smart. And he was saying, well, if so, then Mitzri and not a Mitzris, and playing around with it, Amaleki and not an Amalekis. And Amasa stood up and drew his sword and said, enough, you're trying to mess with our minds. I have a Masora from Shmuel Hanavi's based in that this is the halacha, Moshe Misenai. That's all, stop. You don't, once it's halacha, Moshe Misenai, don't start with your logic games. It's because underneath you're trying to um, discredit David. This has nothing to do with figuring out the halacha, right? It sounds halachic, but there's another drive underneath it and he just pulled out a sword and said, enough, stop, stop talking. <laughs> so we have a Masora on this and that's enough. That Masora really only came to the public eye two, three days, like right around the time that Rus came Boaz into the country. Who ruled it. <clears throat> he was the head of the Beisdin that ruled it, but yeah, it, was, okay. I'm, it doesn't seem that it was he, I don't know that it was he who had the Masora that came to light. Okay, and the, there's logical reasonings as well because the Torah gives reasons for it and it doesn't apply to women, but it depended on a Masora in order to bring it out. Okay, so he says, three days ago, and, and she certainly would not have known this. This was not widely known. This is what Rav Alkavet says. He says, it's not like everyone knew this news that they had worked out a new halacha. Things like this take time to spread in halachas, and people ask shilas, or they learn Torah, and it spreads. Well, and weren't they worried just to get food? I mean... Yeah, I mean, she certainly wasn't going to... Okay, so what he says to her is, look at the chesed that you did. Because an Ammoni or a Moavi is allowed to convert to Judaism... Well, that can stop them from committing themselves to Hashem. They just can't marry anyone. They're like a mamzer. Yeah. They, there's no one they can marry, really. Because it says, Lo yavo Hashem. They can't come into the community. So they can't. So she was coming here. She was not that young, but she wasn't that old. She was around 40, maybe. Right? And she was going to literally be on her own. She's not going to have anywhere to live. She's not going to have anyone to support her. Like, what, what's she going to do with herself? And she can't marry anybody. And Rav Shlomo Alkabetz points out, when we talk about Rus as this model for gay Rus, and not only for gay Rus, but we learn about her and read about her on Shavuos for our own Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim, we have to understand the depth of her Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim. What does it mean to willingly say, God is my king? It doesn't just mean, oh, I'm willing to accept that for the benefits of living this wonderful Jewish life. It means I am so determined to draw close to God and to make his will my will. He's the king. Whatever he says and commands, that's what I want to do. And if it means that my life, everything else, I have to give up, then I'm going to do that because none of that really matters much compared to my determination that the only thing I really want is whatever God wants. 
That's what Ratzon means, and that's what Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim means. It means whatever it is that God wants, that's what I really want. That's what I want more than anything else. And whatever else will get in the way, I don't want as much as that. That's why I can break through the barriers. Okay, that's called, in the language of the Mishnah, Asei Ritzono Ritzonecha. Make God's will your will. It's a very, you know, you can read it, and the words in English somehow just don't have the power, right? Make God's will your will, that means whatever you say, there's nothing I want more than that. Nothing that I want more than that. It doesn't matter what it is, which is why in Shema, we could say in a, in a joyous way, that's why people say Shema before they die. Because there's nothing I want more than whatever is Hashem's will. And when your heart is filled with that, then nothing else really gets in the way at all. Nothing bothers you. It's a beautiful quote. It really was going to, like, comes like much later on. Look at this. This is, I guess, a translation or a paraphrase from Rav Chatzko Levenstein. And the, this quote is brought in Rav Moshe Eisenman. He has, you know, he has these, he prints these, like, little books. They're not so little in content, but they're little in size and length. He has one called The Listening People, about Shema. And he has this quote, I am at peace, relaxed and unafraid like a child nursing from its mother. Thus said David, king of Israel, surrounded on all sides by enemies, plagued by the most devastating tragedies within his own family, a man burdened by sorrows beyond bearing. He was at peace, relaxed and unafraid. He knew the secret of Yichud. He knew that nothing, nothing at all can or will happen that is not willed by God. No place for questions, none for complaints. All, all is willed by God, only by God. There is none other. We're in his hands, in his hands alone. No questions, no complaints, no worries. That's yichud. That is declaring God is one. Declaring God is one is he's one and there's nothing else. There is nothing else. That comes from a feeling inside that there's nothing else. There's nothing else that matters to me in this moment that's, I, can I fill myself with that feeling? That nothing matters to me more than being that Katoras, than being pleasing to God, than whatever you want is what I want. That's what I want more than anything. Okay, so. It's interesting. The, uh, this avoda, which is kind of the core of avoda in general. When, if someone says, um, I'll give you an example, Birkas Kohanim Anyantif is said in avoda. Where do we say it? We say it in Shemona Esrei, which is avoda, but we say it in the avoda of Shemona Esrei. The avoda of Shemona Esrei is the paragraph that says Ritzei. Ritzei Hashem Elokeinu Ba'amcha Yisrael Uvisvilasam. God, be, be satisfied, but see it's again, the word Ritzei is like Ratzon. Be satisfied with us is a very passive sounding thing. It, it's filled with like want, with so much more power when God is pleased with us. <laughs> That's very active, that he wants us. And we pray that Hashem will replace the avoda back in the Beis HaMikdash, that we could do it again. That's where Birkas Kohanim is. Um, so this Ratzon, let's see. Okay, what is this idea of Ratzon? So Rav Hirsch says in Bechukosai, he says, there's an aspect to Ratzon that's an atoning reparation for sins. 
In other words, making yourself satisfactory or pleasing where you weren't. There's some aspect of that there. He says, the word ratza, like ani right? I want to eat something. He says, that, I mean, that's modern Hebrew. He says in the Torah, ratza by no means simply has the meaning to desire or wish. He says that's much milder than what ratzon is. It is generally a noun or a pronoun, and it means to find the satisfying of Hashem's will with something or find something that does satisfy his will. So to, it doesn't just mean to desire or wish something. It means to desire or wish what Hashem wants. That's what ratzon means. It also can mean finding satisfaction of what I want and giving satisfaction to the desire of another. If what I want is to make, to figure out what someone else wants, that's also ratzon. Very, very interesting, like how deep these words are, right? So that's why it can refer to Hashem's satisfaction with us because it's us doing something with the goal of satisfying Hashem. So ratzon can mean satisfaction, our own satisfaction of our wishes if it's Hashem's wish for us. And it can mean the will to satisfy the wishes of another. It's this kind of, it doesn't stand on its own. It's not a selfish kind of will. And that is at the heart, literally, of the Avodah in the Beis HaMikdash. That is the Ketores. And this brings up this, with the Ketores, we kind of see there's no real physicality there. It's just a smell that rises up out of it. So it's kind of fully spiritualized. And that's the personality of the person that's being offered on this Mizbeach. And it's the that spiritualization of the personality because it's being given to the other, being given to Hashem. It's not selfish. It's not seeking to receive. It's seeking to give. Okay. So, kind of the, I would say the first message, like this important piece that I want to bring out today is the power of the Ratzon and the, the demand of it, this sort of insistence on ourselves. It's, it's insisting something, but it's not demanding it of anyone else but ourselves, really. It's not so much demanding that God accept us as demanding of ourselves that we continue to reach out to him no matter what. That, that's where the demand comes in, and that kind of frames, frames the feeling of Shema. Rav Pincus says like this, Kasher anu olim besulam hatfila, shlav achar shlav. When we ascend the ladder of prayer, one step after another, one level after another, shoafim anu, we yearn, lehagia lekriyashma. We yearn to reach kriyashma. Just like, I don't know, when was the last time that you davened thinking, I can't wait, I hope I can make it. Like, I hope I can reach a Kriyashma. Sheba Anu Omrim, in which we say, You shall love Hashem your God with all your heart. 
Ahava Hakoveshes as Kolhamatsios Kula, a love that conquers all of reality in its entirety. Ahava Loshur, love without limits, Admasiris Nefesh, even unto death. That's what we yearn for when we're dominant. We're like, but the way to get there is you got to start in brachos. And then you got to go. You see how there's this process of aligning the bits of ourselves. If you try and jump straight into Shema, you can't because you leave behind bits of yourself that will then say, but what about us? Right? But, but I need this, but I want that, but I'm scared of this or that. So the process that goes first is really important. It doesn't mean that in a particular moment, like the Jews crossing the sea, right? You could have the process without the specific prayer at that moment. The process could happen, right? But that's, that is, in fact, the process in the tefillah, right? We see that Hashem has created everything and that it's for him. We see that there's schar and onish, that there's din and there's rachamim. And we see that it's all part of Hashem's plan and that it's all good. And therefore, we want to be there. All right. So the Shema brings us to the level of commitment and saying, this is, I'm bound and determined that this is going to, how it's going to be. And that moves us from Yitzira, which is shaping the existing reality, to the world of Bria, which is creating new reality. And we had the Olam HaYetzirah, and now we're getting to the Olam HaBriya. So what's the word, what's the difference between Sorry, Bria and Yetzira? But it was again, uh, just that last sentence. Yeah, the world, the, here, it's on, it, oh, there's a chart sorry. here. So one of the worlds, the Olamos, the bottom is Asiya, the next one is Yetzira, shaping or forming. And now we're reaching the world of Bria, which is creating. I don't know which column it is, but I'm sure it's in there. It might be all the way on the right. Okay. So the word Bria. Bria refers to take the creation of something, of the matter of something, from the potential to the actual. It actually exists now where it didn't before. Yitzira is something that changes that which exists. So he says wood corresponds to Bria because the wood is the material. Turning it into a table is Yitzira. You sand it, you shape it, you carve it, you nail it, you hammer it, you paint it. You change the wood and you give it a certain shape. That would be Yitzira. Yeah, he talks about like painting it and that would be like right but you give it the shape but that the material itself that creation that's Bria so generally we would say like okay so Bria that's not us only God is the Bore he's the creator so what does it mean to say that we now move into that same world in what way okay so number one is we're created in the image of God as Sharon said at the in her beautiful beautiful speech at the dinner right she talked about we're created in the in the image of Hashem and Hashem is the creator so there's an aspect to which he created us as creative beings right okay and we said that in the Hallel and Hoda'ah there's the reactive we're reflecting what Hashem does for us when we utilize our free will our determination our commitment saying 
I am determined it's going to be a certain way, we actually are able to create new reality. That's actually functioning in the world of Bria. It's not the world of Atzilus, that's the higher level where Hashem creates, like the original thought of creation, but being able to take something and make it into an actual new reality is something that we can do through free will. Let me give a different example of it. You know how you say with little kids, I've heard Rabbi Orlok say, right? A child who steals, it's because he feels stolen from. That's not an excuse. That's a beginning of understanding what's going on so you could try and address it, all right? <coughs> Typically, a, a child who bullies is a kid who feels bullied. And that's usually what you find out is where they got it from, right? It's not just that they learned the behavior, though. It's a reaction to it. Things happen to us and we, we react. When we use our will to choose to behave differently so that it isn't just a knee-jerk reaction to what's happened to us, we create a new reality. That, that's true. <laughs> I'm just saying that's like a kind of a mundane example, but, but very, very difficult to achieve. It's really hard to overcome those knee-jerk reactions to things really hard so the first step of it is that control of the reflection where we say this is coming from Hashem and it's I don't know where you're taking me God but I know it's somewhere good I know that no one can do anything to me you're the only one who has any power therefore I know I'm in good hands right that's that avoda of your shamayim we learn the fear of God we all learn the fear of everyone else but that is to get us to an even higher level where we can now make choices because now the emotional state is not in, a, in this panic where like, right? There's that kind of, the, what Rabbi Eisman described, right? As that calm that David HaMelech could have. He could have sons who were trying to kill him. And he could have a kind of peace inside of himself because he knows he's in good hands. That's, there's a new reality that we can create with our free will. And it's, it's a reality that's a real reality. However, you say that. It's real. There's a very nice piece. I want to, well, maybe we'll cover this a little bit here. I was going to start. <coughs> okay, let me just share a couple thoughts and then we'll end maybe with Rav Hirsch and the next time we'll talk a little bit more about the mitzvah. I don't know that we have so much time for that. Okay, we talked about the shulchan, which is the material that would be on the right side as you come into the heichal and the menorah, which would be on your left side and on the south side as you come in and that's the intellectual or the spiritual. So Rav Schwab says those correspond in davening to the two brachos leading into Shema. Yotzer or Uvore Choshech, that describes Hashem revealing himself in the material universe, right? Through the, it's a transition coming out of Sukkot de Zimra, saying that not just do we see that he has all those forces, but he reveals himself directly to us through that, through the material world. That's the bracha of Yotzer or. That is the Shulchan. That's the avoda of the Shulchan, recognizing God as the one who provides all that is physical. And on the left-hand side, then, you have Ahava Rabbah, 
which describes Hashem's excessive love for us in giving us the Torah, in revealing himself to us through the spiritual and the intellectual. That's the Torah. So that's the menorah side. It's just such a different thing when you say these brachos and you realize that what they're doing is, in the words of tefillah, they're painting like a blueprint, a three-dimensional walkthrough of the Beis HaMikdash. And then you get to the Shema at the center, and that's the Ketoros. That's the offering of the self and the personality at the middle. Rav Hirsch calls it offering the inner spiritual life to Hashem. And it carries along all the bits behind it, the, the physical and the emotional with it. Okay. So now I want to share with you this idea from Rav Hirsch, which really gonna we're gonna touch on. You want more of that? I have more of that. This really touches on a lot of the points that we will do sort of separately in Shema. We have Bechira and Emuna because we have Amen, right? Kel Melech Ne'eman spells out Amen. We have all these things we're going to come to. He kind of works on them all in talking about the Brisbane Habasarim, where Hashem says to Avraham, right? He cuts the he cuts the different parts of the animals and the birds. And then the Shrina comes and a cloud passes between them. And then he falls asleep. And then Hashem comes and he has this prophecy, right? He, Hashem lifts him up beyond the stars and says, so shall your children be, right? And then, yeah. And now, Avram doesn't have any children to speak of, so, right? He hasn't got kids. And Hashem is promising him that, and you know the Rashi, right? Hashem was lifting him above the stars, meaning above the mazel. This is familiar, right? I'm not. That's not new. And saying you're going to be beyond that. I can. I will change your name. You won't be Avram. You'll be Avraham, and you will have children. Like the stars are not in charge of all of this. Okay. Again, when you see it plotted, and you realize that like the stars are in the level of Yitzira and the mazel down there, and now he's lifting him up beyond that. Right? So they're breaking through that barrier to the supernatural. There's no more physical. It's beyond the physical. It's not that there's no more physical, because he's going to set him back down again. He's still going to build it from the physical upward, because that's the job of people, is to stand on the ground and reach upward. But there's no limit. The earth doesn't limit us. It's what we use and stand upon. It doesn't limit us because there's such a thing as God is really in control. Creation doesn't come from the bottom. Creation comes from the spiritual. The reality is when Hashem says Vayomer, He commands and that's what is. That's where the physical comes from. So the physical doesn't dominate the spiritual. The physical is a result of the spiritual. Okay. So here's how, what Refersh says. He says, the tendency of Avraham's thought is clear from this context. Avraham had given up all hopes of having a child. And in the natural course of events, he could no longer look forward to the joys of fatherhood. It was with this feeling that he says to Hashem, see, everything that you might still give me is of no value to me as I shall depart from the world childless. He says, Anochi hariri. Like, it's very nice that you're giving me all these brachos. I just, you know, life is short. 
So it's nice if it's comfortable and I have money or something, but like, it's not very meaningful because it won't be perpetuated. Thereupon, God led him out into the open. This is what he said. At the, in the, it's like in the middle, and then Hashem lifts him up over oh, the stars. Oh, and then he lifts him up. Sorry, I want to know. So then, yeah. So it was <coughs> thereupon. God led him out into the open. Just take a look. Look at the heavens. Up there, you see quite a different state of existence to that on Earth. On Earth, one no longer sees the direct creation of God. Everything we see on Earth is a product of something else already created. Okay, again, think of like the chart. You can get as high as Yitzira, shaping or forming that which is already created. In this world, we don't see yesh ayin, something from nothing. We don't see it, right? Everything has to come from somewhere. That's what you see in this world. You don't see direct creation of God. It happened, but it happened originally, and then everything just keeps on being a product of something else created. It doesn't come directly from the hand of God. It follows natural laws of production. Within these earthly conditions where every effect comes from a given cause, Avraham is quite right. All the premises are lacking to give rise for hopes of the blessing of children. Then Hashem directs his sight up to the heavens. And there, things are different. What one sees there are bodies and creations which have been called into existence directly by God. So he's saying, and this ties into that idea of starting Shema, bridging, getting from, from the Psuke de Zimra, where we saw the heavenly bodies, to starting Shema with God is Yotzer Oruvo Rechoshech. God created the heavenly beings and the, the stars and the moon and the sky, and then we move on from there. Rav Hirsch is saying, why did Hashem take him up and say, look at the stars? He says, the stars are not products of previous creations. The stars were directly created by Hashem. They're just still there. They have a longer lifespan. You know, if you see a tree down here, you're not seeing the tree that God originally created and put into the world. You're seeing... A tree that grew from an acorn that grew from a tree that grew from an acorn that grew from a tree from the tree that Hashem originally created and planted in the world. You're seeing the descendant of that which was initially brought out from nowhere into the world. But when you look at a star or the moon or the sun, <coughs> what you're seeing is that which God created during the six days of creation. Okay, so what is that supposed to tell him if he sees that? He says, when you see the, heaven, the creations which have been called into existence directly by God, in their pristine state, just as they were when they were placed there by God at creation, then, uh-oh, not too cut off here. Okay, hang on. He says, by the way, if we could see the earth as a whole, then as a heavenly body, that would present us with a similar sight. And you think of the awe that you feel. You remember those pictures from the astronauts who went to the moon and they took the pic the, those first pictures of the earth as seen from outer space? Something changes. You can see satellite pictures, and that's amazing. And then when you see the earth as a planet, it's, a whole, it's like a different thing. 
It's a different reality. That's what Rav Hirsch is saying. If we could see the earth as a whole, as a heavenly body, <coughs> it would be a similar sight to seeing a star or something like that. You see that thing that God created. So that if somebody is to be made to visualize an existence brought about by the immediate direct power of God's almightiness, he can be shown the stars. Hashem says, I want you to know that really everything in the world is created from something else, is formed from... God says, the truth is I'm still creating. You just don't see that. (coughs) So I want to give you the image so that you can see it. Don't people feel like that when they see like the Grand Canyon or something like that? Could be. Right, because then you're seeing... Could be. Except the Grand Canyon, that would go back to Pesuke de Zimmer, right? It's really the forces of the water that Hashem sent to carve it out. So that's the awe of Hashem's power that can come out from it. But when you see a star being born... Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you saying ever see these, like, these Hubble telescopes? Where they say, right, where they're saying the, that they're seeing the light that came from so long ago, but that this is how Hashem made it at that moment. It's not being derived from some other creation. Whenever you're seeing something like that, what you're seeing is a throwback thousands of years, right? The light that's only just arriving now. This is what Hashem was showing him, that his sight has to be raised above the heavens, to the double sham, meaning this place, shamayim, where the world is called forth directly from God and shines down. He says, that's how your children will be. What does it mean to be a Jew? When we say a Jew has no mazel, no mazel means that we are not a product of other forces just drizzling down on us. We are not just that which is a creation from a creation from a creation. Life as a Jew now, today, in the 21st century, means that I still have God's hand directly upon me. And like Menashe, you know, Sarah Kaufman made such an amazing point after that shear on Menashe. Afterwards, she said, and I hadn't even thought of it that way. She like totally put her finger on it. She said, it was this incredible feeling through the story, through what happened to Menashe. What, how much love is there, is the meaning of being a Jew? The Hashem says, I chose you people. Like what, what is the privilege of being a Jew? We're going to be proud to be a Jew, privileged to be a Jew, happy to be a Jew. That's what it means. It means God says, I'm not letting go of you. I, I'm not letting go of you. My hand is upon you directly. It's not somebody else taking care of you. It's not... I'm paying attention to something else. It's having God's attention on you all the time without letting go. Hashem wouldn't, and that's what Rabbi Akiva's conclusion from the story of Menashe was, Chavivin Yisurim, Yisurim is love. That, that was his conclusion, right? And it brought so much comfort to his Rebbe who was suffering. Yisurim is love. Hashem is saying, I'm not letting go of you. That's all. This is the message Hashem was giving him. He says, your children are going to be like stars directly created by the hand of God. Therefore, leave your natural earthly calculations and let your mind sink into the conception of this world of stars. Thus shall your people be. So directly from God, so without all natural premises, because we are his children, right? If we're Avram's children and he couldn't have children, 
we are literally like stars. We were created directly. There was no natural way for this to come about. So there is a second creation in the moment that Hashem changes his name from Avram to Avraham. It's like the world was created again. It's considered another Briasa Olam in that moment. Does Hashem still create now? Yeah, so that's one of the things in Yotzer Or, Hamachadish Betuvo Bechol Yom Tamid Hashem renews in his goodness every day the creation. It's recreated new every day. It's so, renew or create? So, Hamachadish means new. Um, but it can mean renew, so I don't know how to answer it. I think to our eyes, it's difficult to get the message from it because it appears to be a continuation from before. There's for sure some kind of new force that is coming in every day. It was hinted to when we learned in Brachos about um, that there's different hours of of the day and somewhere during the night, the day is like started fresh and it starts with din, just like the world was created originally with din, and then Hashem said, oh, won't survive, so he added the rachamim. That happens every day. But it must be constantly happening. And that that moment is the moment where the rooster crows is when that din takes over, and then the rachamim kicks in to sort of stop it. But That's very early in the morning by the time we need the rachamim. <laughs> it doesn't even wake it up. It has and to we're, be constantly happening because of the rotation of the earth. Yeah, somehow so. it has to keep on. Yeah, the energy has to keep flowing in. That's that chei ha'olamim, Hashem constantly providing the flow of energy to keep the world, right, the world spinning. Right, but he did spinning. set it into motion. Right, like right. so that's the natural side to yeah. it. That's why I don't know if the word mechadesh, how, how you're He's meant to read it. allowing it maybe to stay in motion. Okay. So I'm going to start here. I mean, start here. I'm going to stop here because it's late. And I want to continue next. I'm going to put a little one of these handy dandy flags. Thank you. I've been using them all over the place now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to use a handy flag to remind me where we're up to with this because I feel like Rev Hirsch really summarizes, and and he does on purpose. You see the quotes that he uses, everything, are also from Suke de Zemra to bring you to Shema. So we'll we'll go from there. Thank you. So there's class next week. I don't see why not. I hope so. And that's it for the Um, you know. Let me check the calendar. I'll just